The next talk is by Kimberly Smith from Rush. Kimberly's going to discuss uh, will the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, cure health disparities in HIV? Kimberly? Thank you, Dr. Fair, and thank you all for being here and being attentive. It's nice to be able to give a talk in my hometown. I just have to go back to work this afternoon. So um, several months ago, Dr. Fair called me and asked me to give this talk. And uh, my initial reaction was, really? <laughs> it's a tough topic, but I think it's one that is timely and quite important. And so I wanted to ask a provocative question in the title, and that's, will the Patient Care and Affordable Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act cure health disparities in HIV. I think everyone in the room knows the answer to that is no. It would take a lot more than Obamacare or ACA, uh, whatever you'd like to call it. I think it would take a lot more than that to cure health disparities in HIV or health disparities in any uh, area of the field of health. But um, I, I wanted to be provocative. But I do think that we can ask the question, will it reduce those disparities? And I hope that by the end of the talk, will uh, at least have my opinion about whether or not it will uh, play a role in reducing health disparities. So here are my disclosures. So hopefully today you'll have a, a better understanding of how the ACA will affect HIV patient care and a better understanding of how it will affect Ryan White Care Clinic and um, HIV providers. So hopefully you'll walk away with a little more information about how this is going to affect you. So we'll start out with a question, which of the following best describes your understanding of how the ACA will affect HIV patient care? Number one, I don't know much. Number two, I know a little. Three, I'm well versed in how ACA will affect me and my patients. And number four, I don't know, I don't care. I'm retiring December 2013. Okay, so most of the group uh, knows uh, either not much or a little. Some people know quite a bit, and uh, it's good to know that there's only 3% of this group that is planning to retire by the end of the year. I hope that by the end of this talk that number doesn't go up. <laughs> All right, so I'll start out talking a little bit about the, case, the current state of HIV care. Uh, disease and disparities. I'll talk about the Affordable Care Act and how it will uh, impact people living with HIV. And then I'll try to answer the question, will it reduce health disparities in HIV? So first, this is uh, data that you all are very familiar with. This is uh, an, an assessment of the populations most impacted by HIV. And as, as we all know, MSM are the populations uh, most impacted that includes all racial groups, but in particular, uh, black MSM really stand out given the small proportion of the population, but the large proportion of the new cases. Behind MSM, uh, black heterosexual women um, make up a large number of the cases. This is not new to you, but this is the numbers, uh, the latest that you can see. And then this just gives you an idea about sort of what those ratios are. So black men uh, compared to white men, roughly about a sevenfold. Uh, difference in the rate of new HIV infections in black women compared to white women are roughly about a 19-fold uh, difference. So everyone's very familiar with 
the CDC cascade. This is the most up-to-date version of it. And so it talks about sort of the state of care. So we know that there are roughly uh, a million point one uh, individuals HIV infected in this country. Roughly 950,000 of those individuals have been diagnosed. Roughly 750,000 or 66% of those linked to care. And then there's a major drop off about retained in care. So really only about 37% of individuals who've been, who are believed to be HIV infected are actually retained in care. 33% of those individuals on heart. And then 25%, again, of the total uh, in individuals suppressed uh, with an undetectable viral load. So when we talk about health disparities, I think it's important to look at, is there a difference in how the cascade plays out by race or group? And so this is, again, CDC data that breaks the cascade down by racial groups. And so you can see the first group of bars represents uh, African Americans, the second group of bars is uh, Hispanic or Latino, and the last group of bars are white individuals. And so uh, the arrow is really pointing you to the fact that the number, you remember for the overall number, was roughly 25% of individuals with uh, suppressed viral load of the overall group. But for African Americans, that's only 21%, so down quite a bit. And if you look all the way over to the other end, it's roughly 30% of whites, with Hispanics falling sort of right in the middle. If you look at each one of the categories uh, for black, the numbers are a little bit less, five to, in some cases, as much as 10% less, uh, than the overall population. And so when we talk about the challenges that exist, we all know that those challenges are the highest uh, for uh, African Americans and, 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 and Latinos, but in particular for African Americans. If you look at many of the comparisons in response to therapy, looking at racial groups, Hispanics have done similarly to whites, whereas blacks traditionally and uh, consistently are quite a bit below. So what is the national HIV AIDS strategy as it relates to reducing HIV-related health disparities and health uh, inequities? So the action steps, reduce HIV mortality in communities at high risk for HIV infection, adopt community-level approaches to reduce HIV infection in high-risk communities, reduce stigma and discrimination against people living with HIV. So what are the targets by 2015? Reduce HIV, uh, the proportion, sorry, increase the proportion of HIV uh, diagnosed gay and bisexual men by 20%, increase the proportion of HIV-diagnosed black Americans with undetectable viral load by 20%. Now, note that 20%. So, mind you, that number that we just looked at was 21% of folks undetectable. So an increase of 20% would get it up to 25. And so that's really not a really high uh, bar to put here. So I guess if you set the, low, the bar fairly low, then, now, mind you, I, I should have probably started out by saying that, you know, what I, uh, you know, those commercials that say I'm giving my own opinion and the sponsors aren't responsible for what I say. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, I, I put my own spin on what I, I think is important and, again, my opinion. And so it seems like to me that the bar is set fairly low uh, in the national HIV uh, AIDS strategy with regard to health disparities. Same point is made around uh, Latinos increasing 20%, which would get it up to about 30%, which is comparable. So when we talk about HIV, how is HIV coverage uh, taking place in the United States? And so you can see this graph gives you a bit of an idea for uh, 2010. 
So 42% of individuals are receiving their care from Medicaid, 12% Medicare, 24% Ryan White, 8% unknown or maybe no uh, insurance at all, and then 13% from uh, private health insurance. So a big proportion of individuals really uh, receiving their care through uh, government-funded programs, Ryan White, Medicare, and uh, Medicaid making up uh, well over And so let's talk about who's a part of Ryan White. So if we look at it from a gender perspective, it's primarily male. If we look at it from an age perspective, it's individuals that are getting older, so uh, 35 or older, up to about 50, 54 is making up the biggest chunk. And then you have really uh, no numbers of individuals uh, above 65 that are represented in this particular bracket. But racially, it's very clear that African-Americans and Hispanics make up the overwhelming majority of individuals receiving their care part of like Brian White, roughly 70%. So what is the Ryan White um, program doing around the what, is, what are the, what is the work of the Ryan White Care Act as it relates to uh, the cascade? So what you can see here are the things that you're, those of you who work in uh, Ryan White clinics are very familiar with. So HIV testing, Counseling and testing is done, outreach to try to get people uh, who have been diagnosed into care, linking people to care through uh, case management, finding individuals uh, who aren't linked to care, a variety of things in place to try to keep people, uh, to get people into care. Most importantly, I think probably the uh, medical case management as well as the medical uh, care that's provided. Plays a big role. Well, how is it doing in comparison to the overall uh, look of individuals and how people are doing um, analyzing similar to the cascade? So, if you look at this, is data that was presented by HRSA last year at the International AIDS Conference. And so, you can see there's roughly uh, 550,000 Ryan White clients. And of those individuals who are defined as clients, 79% of them have received some Ryan White funded either medical care or case management for their HIV. So a pretty good proportion. But when you look down to the proportion of individuals who actually have received medical care, only about half of those individuals. And so then the next graphic looks at the individuals who have at least initiated uh, care in Ryan White funded clinics, and that's almost 300,000 individuals. And two thirds or 76% of those individuals are retained. And so the opinion of uh, the HRSA folks who presented what this was that that this is actually better than uh, the data from the cascade and that you know, there's room for improvement, but that the Ryan White uh, program is doing well. It's a, a little bit uh, apples to oranges comparison because obviously what's going on here with the percentages is you're taking the percentage of the bar next to it, not the percentage of the bar from the beginning. And so it's a little tough to do the, the, the math and say whether or not it's really uh, doing better. But I do think that it's important to be able to say that 76% of individuals who initiate uh, some care in, in Ryan White are retained. And so how does that break down by different characteristics? So is there a difference from rate for different racial groups with regard to their likelihood of being retained in care in the Ryan White programs? And actually, it looks pretty good. So overall, 76%, white 77%, uh, blacks 75%, and Hispanic 78%. So you know, not a big uh, drop off by, from racial groups. And then if you look at whether or not they have insurance, private insurance versus individuals who have 
uh, no insurance or Medicaid, Medicaid only, uh, again, fairly good uh, with individuals with no insurance being the most likely to have uh, some less likely to be retained. So then how are folks doing with regard to going on hard and staying suppressed? So again, now we're down to about 260,000 individuals who have received some form of Ryan White uh, care and for whom antiretroviral data was available, 80% of those folks would prescribe heart. So that means that basically the overwhelming majority, 80% of the folks who are consistently in the Ryan White clinics are actually on heart, which I think is a, uh, quite a good number. Obviously, it would be ideal, given the current guidelines, to get that number up to 100%, and, and certainly that should be the goal. So then what about individuals? How are they doing? How are they doing with regard to suppression? And so again, looking at the same sort of group of individuals who are in care and have a viral load available, 70% of those individuals are suppressed. So this leaves quite a bit of room for improvement. Obviously, with the current regimens that we have available, we would expect those numbers to be quite a bit higher, and I think the goal is to get those uh, numbers higher. The point that's made at the bottom is that individuals who are retained in care have a greater proportion of suppressed viral load than individuals who weren't retained in care. And, and that's not terribly surprising. In individuals who weren't retained in care, only 50% of them were biologically suppressed. So now with that as a context, that's how the Ryan White program is doing. That's sort of the, state, the current state. So how will the, the Affordable Care Act help people living with HIV? Well, it's, it, some of the provisions of the, Ryan White, of the ACA are already in effect. And so insurance companies can no longer deny coverage to children because of HIV or AIDS or any other pre-existing condition. Insurers can no longer impose a lifetime dollar limit on essential uh, health benefits. The ADAP spending on HIV drugs is now counted as the out-of-pockets for individuals in reaching their uh, drug limit. So that's been an important, uh, important move forward for a lot of our patients who aren't now, because of this, not stuck with the donut hole and having a, a big bill at some point in the year. And then dependent coverage uh, for individuals up to age 26 was put into place as of 2010. So those are the things that are already in place. So what's coming? Well, one of the biggest things that's coming is expanded Medicaid. And that is coming in 2014, so beginning of next year. And so what is expanded Medicaid? So the new Medicaid eligibility category for low-income adults between 19 and 64 years of age with income between uh, basically up to 138% of the federal poverty level. Now, some people will see, you'll see some things where it's quoting 133%, but, it, but the 138% is correct because the first 5% is not counted. So it's really individuals up to 138% of the federal poverty level. And so that's 14,500 for an individual and 29,700 for a family of four. So if, if if your state expands Medicaid program, and that's a big if, and we'll get to that question a, a little bit later, but if a state expands the Medicaid program, low-income individuals who are living with HIV and who meet these new eligibility requirements won't have to wait basically for an AIDS diagnosis or for some other criteria in order for them to qualify for Medicaid. And we know that in some states there are individuals who don't qualify, and we know in some states there are individuals who um, are, are left on waiting lists to get access to uh, medications. But some states uh, will, will choose a managed care type model. So do we manage Medicaid, so similar to a sort of HMO type program, but a managed Medicaid. There's already some states, like for example, Illinois, 
has already begun moving towards uh, managed Medicaid. And then providers, all of us in the room, will have to be contracted with those managed Medicaid programs in order for us to be able to be a part of it. So that's an important point, and that will come up again a, bit, a little bit later. So also coming in 2014 are reforms to uh, private insurance. So there's no longer the ability to uh, deny insurance on the basis of pre-existing conditions. So you know, our patients that, that have jobs and, and seek to start up uh, a new insurance, a new health insurance plan uh, with their new job provider, they won't be able to be excluded on the basis of HIV disease or any other pre-existing condition. And then there's no discriminatory, discriminatory premium rates. So you can't charge people more because they have uh, a pre-existing -condi pre condition. You can't charge women more than men, that sort of thing. And then there's a, a prohibition of annual dollar limits around essential essential health benefits. Now, I'm going to show you a slide a little bit later that lays out exactly what essential health benefits are. And then there's specific coverage for specified preventive health services without cost sharing. So that means that basically people are going to be able to get HIV tested without there being a cost uh, sharing related to that. So you should be able to always get HIV testing, as well as a number of other uh, preventative actions. Also coming in, in 2014 are health insurance marketplaces. So, you know, we sort of, some people have called this health insurance exchanges. We've all kind of heard about this. So starting in 2014, people living with HIV who have incomes between 100 and 400 percent of the federal poverty line um, who aren't eligible for any other uh, programs basically may be able to get tax credits in order to help them purchase private insurance through these health exchanges. And so the, the point of this is that basically there should be uh, lots of programs that are available across state lines and so that you have lots of choices of things you can pick and theoretically this should lead to there being lower costs associated with purchasing a private health insurance. And then so states can decide that they want to create their own health marketplace or they can buy into one that HRSA has done or, 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 and, and let HRSA do the operating. And most of the states have decided they would prefer to let HRSA do the operating. And then the, the final thing on my list of things starting in 2014 is the individual requirement for insurance or the individual mandate, which is part, part of what's gotten the most attention. And then, again, the essential health benefits package, which I mentioned early. So what is that? So essential health benefits are what's listed on this slide. So all of the plans must offer this laundry list of things. Now, it's not, there's a lot of details about exactly what those have to entail, but this gives you an idea. So you have to have ambulatory care services, emergency services, hospitalization has to be covered, uh, maternity and newborn care, mental health and substance use disorder services. Now, that's a big one. And we know that that's uh, a certainly an important one when it comes to our patients who often have difficulty accessing uh, these services, both because of the lack of providers and the lack of providers that accept insurance. So whether or not this is, this is going to fix the problem uh, to, will be to, de to be determined, but certainly it's important um, that this is being required of the, of the plans that are coming forth. Rehabilitation services is included, laboratory services, preventive and wellness services, chronic disease management, and then pediatric services, including vision and oral care. And so at the bottom, what you see is that the scope of this essential health benefits must be equal to the scope of benefits offered by a typical employer plan. Now, those of you who are providers know that typical employer plan is a wide <laughs> range. So we have some employer plans that are 
what we call Cadillac, Cadillac plans. And then there's some plans that are sort of you-go plans. And, you know, I, 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 Joel is in the back, and I, I remember uh, a quote that he gave about a patient of his who came in when they came and said that their, their, their copay for their medication was like $300 or something like that. And, and, and Joel said, well, that doesn't sound like a copay. That sounds like a pay. See, I'm giving you credit. That's your line. <laughs> but it's, it, it's true for many of our patients that they have very high copays. And so the notion of a typical employer plan is vague and maybe not, not adequately detailed. Okay, so this figure and, and uh, the, the reference for this dropped off of the slide, but this came from the, uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation, a, a report from September of 2012 by Jennifer Cates. And so I'll make sure you get a, a hold of that uh, reference. But this is a graphic that kind of gives you an idea of sort of how things have been. And then I'll, the next one will show you sort of how things uh, will change. And so, so I, I don't, can't really point, but you guys can follow. So uh, do you have employer uh, coverage or private insurance? If you're eligible for that, then obviously that's where you would go, so go over to the yes. But if you're not eligible for that, then the next question, are you eligible for Medicare or Medicaid in your state? And so if you are, you'll go towards Medicare or Medicaid. Now this is, again, how things currently are. And so if you're not eligible for Medicare or Medicaid, then the question is, is there some other state coverage? Some states have these high-risk pools, or some states have specific uh, state-funded programs that would provide some coverage for some people. But that's not most states. So most people, the answer to that is no. And so they, those are the folks who are in Ryan White care clinics and who are getting most of their care through Ryan White. OK, so how's that going to change? Well, this doesn't look that different. And so you still have uh, individuals who have, if you have your employer uh, health care coverage, you'll go that route. If you don't, it's still a question of, do you, are you eligible for Medicare or Medicaid? But obviously, the group of individuals that are going to be eligible for Medicaid is going to be much larger in the states that do the, the Medicaid expansion. Not all the states, but in the states that do Medicaid expansion. So if you're not eligible, you still go down that same path that says no. And so now your two options, if you're not eligible for Medicare or Medicaid, is that you might be eligible for the health insurance exchange or health insurance marketplace, again, where you get some tax credits to help you buy private insurance, or you still end up in the Ryan White Care uh, program. So I think what's important here is that you see that 2014 and beyond, Ryan White does not go off of this graphic. There's clearly a need uh, for Ryan White to exist. And that's particularly heightened in places that don't expand uh, the Medicaid program. So what's the state of Ryan White? Well, as you all probably know, uh, 2013 would be the year that the Ryan White Care Act would be up to be, be reauthorized. But it hasn't so far, and it looks like it may not be uh, reauthorized. But the important thing about the Ryan White Care Act is it doesn't have a sunset provision, which means, you know, in, in the congressional terms, that basically if you don't reauthorize it, it just stays as is indefinitely until someone puts in new legislation that, that, that changes it. And so someone would have to put forth a new proposal that either eliminates Ryan White or changes it in some fashion. And so President Obama's FY 2014 budget actually included an increase 
per the Warren Wright plan of 20 million, 20 million, 10 million for ADAP, and then 10 million for uh, Part C clinics. Now, HRSA has uh, really talked about sort of what's going to happen because a lot of people are a little nervous about what's going to happen to the Ryan White Care Act when the ACA comes forward. And that this is a quote from HRSA that says, it is anticipated that on average coverage will not be adequate for the care and treatment of people living with HIV due to plan limitations and the scope of coverage. So it's recognized by the folks in HRSA that the ACA plans by themselves will be less than what people are currently experiencing as a part of the Ryan White Care Act. So a lot of the services that exist in the Ryan White Care Act won't be present. You know, you can think about medical case management and some of the other uh, important aspects of Ryan White Care Act, the, the medical home contract. Those are, are not built in to ACA, and so HRSA recognizes there's still a need uh, for Ryan White, and certainly we recognize that as well. So what are some of the unknowns about the uh, Affordable Care Act and some of the challenges? Well, how many states will expand Medicaid? I have a graphic to show you that in just a few minutes. How will the benefits provided through ACA compare with Ryan White Care benefits? And again, we made the point that there, there will be somewhat less. And then how will Ryan White Care Act providers be included in those insurance networks? So it's important, and I'm sure that folks that are working in Ryan White Care clinics, are, their, their clinics are already starting to address this, is that folks are going to need to be signed up, or clinics are going to be, as well as individual providers, are going to need to be signed up for the expanded Medicaid as well as other insurance uh, networks. And then importantly, one of the big things is that they want to make sure that people who are eligible for Medicare or Medicaid, that they go there first. And so that means that the folks that are in our clinics these days and that don't have any insurance but then become eligible for insurance in 2014, that, that the, the clinics go out of their way to make sure you sign folks up for those programs so that you're only using sort of Ryan White dollars for individuals who aren't eligible for other forms of insurance. And you all probably are aware that there's actually some grants out that uh, will allow you to sort of hire what they call navigators people who will assist you in finding out what your, your clients are going to be eligible for and, and making sure that they uh, get signed up for those programs. And a lot of that is happening already. So that addresses the, the transitioning uh, people to new insurance coverage. And then, but then, you know, one of the important things that Ryan White does is tracks HIV clinical indicators. And so if people are more dispersed, how are we going to be able to do that? Are we going to be able to do that as effectively? And then, we need to understand, of course, over time, how will the Ryan White Care Act or how will Ryan White the program evolve in the context of ACA in providing services. So this is a, another graphic that sort of reminds you a little bit about the sort of geography of HIV in this country. And so you can see some of the, the rates basically putting big blocks uh, of areas together. And some of the highest rates are in the south and in the northeast. And so just in your, in, envision that sort of south area, that light blue uh, color, that baby blue color there that you, uh, that there's a rate of 13% and that's, that's one of the highest rates in the country. So if you look at this next graphic, it actually shows you, uh, again, the, 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 the U.S. graphic 
shows you blacks as a share of the non-elderly uninsured who meet that hundred and less than 138% of the federal poverty line as of 2011. And so interestingly, the highest proportion, so states that have more than 20% of blacks being uh, in that poor area um, are in some of those same southern states where we have some of the highest uh, rates of new HIV infection. So that's important to sort of keep that in mind. And then the other graphic shows you the distribution of uninsured blacks with incomes less than 138% across all states. And you can just see that, again, if you uh, look in, in detail at some of these, like Florida and Georgia and Louisiana, North Carolina, those are areas that have a high uh, percentage of, of, of uninsured blacks um, below 38% of the federal poverty line. Did I go backwards? I'm missing a slide. Oh, that's the important slide. I think we may have gotten this a little bit out of order, but so this is the slide that is an important one for you to look at. So where do the states stand as of May 13, 2013, with regard to the likelihood of expanding Medicaid? And so again, those same sort of southern states that are the states that have high numbers of folks with HIV, High numbers of poor folks, poor blacks in particular, who um, would meet that Medicaid expansion criteria based upon their income are in, so there's a lot of overlap with the states that won't expand Medicaid. So what does that ultimately mean? In my mind, what that means is that when we look at these red states, and I'm not using that as a pun, <laughs> when we look at these states that are shown in red, uh, those are the states where you're not going to have, you're still going to have a tremendous amount of dependence on Ryan White care plans. And these are also some of the states where the state's contribution to the Ryan White uh, programs is, has traditionally actually been less. And so it's concerning, I think, for uh, folks that are functioning in these states and, and pro providing care in these states that, you know, they're not going to have a, a new hand up not nearly as much as some of the states uh, that will be expanding right-wide. So if I go back to the previous slide. Okay, so in, in states that expand Medicaid, some people who are living uh, with HIV will have more options. So they may have the option of uh, being a part of expanded Medicaid. They may have the option of the health uh, care marketplaces or getting private insurance through that route. And so they will have more choices, and they may decide that they want to stay in um, the clinics that have been traditionally supported by Ryan White. But they may also decide that they may want to go, they can go to other clinics if they want to. However, in states that don't expand Medicaid, there will be a continued need for those Ryan White uh, care centers, and, and there won't be nearly as much choice uh, for those individuals. And so those states would be disproportionately impacted by whatever happens to Ryan White. So if Ryan White were to disappear, it would be a huge, 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 huge uh, uh, major uh, problem for people living with uh, HIV and, and people living in those states in general as far as getting access to health care, but in particular people living with HIV. So to the last question that I, that I tried to say that I could answer here, and that is, will the Affordable Care Act reduce health disparities in HIV? I think the answer, for the most part, is yes. More blacks and Hispanics will have access to health insurance. So 
prevention and screenings will be covered, and so potentially that could mean more people diagnosed, earlier diagnosis. If folks have access to clinics, maybe they're going in and getting care, and maybe they're getting tested sooner. Increased access to HIV care and to care for their comorbid conditions, so you know, people that are also living with hepatitis C or hypertension or diabetes, the other problems that they're, that they're living with, they will have consistent access to care. And consistent access to medications, I think, is a, a critical, important uh, piece of this. We know that uh, as much as the ADAP programs uh, really have saved tons of people, we know that there are challenges with the, the states requiring frequent renewals uh, every six months in some states. That can lead to some gaps in care for some people, and that can be a challenge. This should help to hopefully eliminate some of those challenges. There's less need uh, for traveling long distances. So folks who live in rural areas and have to go all the way to another state or uh, travel many miles to go and have access to care in a Ryan White Care Clinic, if those folks have access to expanded uh, Medicaid, they could get care uh, more local to them. And then people have a greater choice. So some people are stigmatized by going to clinics that are sort of labeled as Ryan White Care Clinics. Maybe for some of those folks that deters them from coming, if they had options to go to other places, maybe that would be a good thing and keep them in care. And then the, the ACA does uh, support the concept and really is promoting the concept of patient-centered medical homes. And so that, I think, is a major important thing uh, for communities of color. In addition, there are lots of sort of cultural competency uh, language in the CARE Act that that I think are important, and the uh, ACA does support really increasing the workforce. And so taking some of the programs like the National Health Service Corps and providing loans and more support for people so that maybe we can build up uh, the number of people who are taking care of folks with HIV. And so that has the potential uh, to, I think, make it a, a big boost towards reducing health disparities in HIV. But there are some downsides. And so I do think that HIV care for people of color and low income could become more diffuse. So mind you, I showed you all the data about the Ryan White Care Clinics and how well they are doing with getting people suppressed and that they're doing as well and in some cases better than other clinics. And we know that that's where a lot of the HIV expertise in different areas, um, in different cities, that's where a lot of the HIV expertise exists. So if you have individuals who say, well, I don't want to go to the traditional Ryan White Clinic because I'm, I, I don't want to be associated with that stigma, I want to go to someone that's in my neighborhood or, or something to another clinic, the chance that they're going to go there and find a HIV expert is maybe a little bit lower. And so if the care is more diffuse, there may be individuals that are taken care of, that are being taken care of by less experienced providers, and that could be a problem. I also think that, again, the point about um, HIV care being really influenced by where people live is important. And so disproportionately, African Americans live in, in big cities and, and in the South. And so if you live in a state that doesn't expand Medicaid, then your chances of being able to have the best options or many options will be less. So I'm, I'm concerned uh, that, that there are pieces that aren't being handled and that's something that I think we'll need to talk about. So how can we maximize success? Here are a couple of uh, thoughts from me about things that need to happen. I think it is important that we recognize that the Ryan White Care Clinics must be preserved and that they have to serve as the model for patient care, patient-centered medical care. 
no, I don't think you have any better model of you know, basically getting people in and providing them with a variety of services that are designed to get them access to treatment, all the different types of treatment that they need, and address many of their uh, social uh, concerns and, and mental health concerns and other concerns. The Ryan White Care wraparound services like case management and dental and other have to remain in place and have broad availability. So that includes availability for individuals that may have access to other insurance. So for example, you may have individuals that are have insurance through the healthcare exchanges or have insurance through expanded uh, Medicaid, but their insurance plans don't provide everything that they need. So it will be necessary that those types of services, particularly things like um, medical case management, dental care, and I, and I also think to some degree psychi psychiatric care, it's going to be important that those, that those stay in place and so that people who can't get access to those through other routes still have ability to access those through the Ryan White Care Clinic. And then experienced HIV providers must be included in the managed Medicare plans and the reimbursement for these providers must be adequate to support them. That's a big point. And clearly, if uh, individuals are sort of required to uh, function on the very low pay uh, rates that they get through some of the historical Medicaid plans, it will be tough for many of these providers uh, to stay in practice. And then coverage of a, a broad array of HIV medications has to be included in all these insurance plans. So we all know that some of the insurance plans sometimes will make only a small fraction of HIV uh, medicines available to individuals and then everything else is non-formulary and you have to do, you have to jump through a, a whole bunch of hurdles to try to get access to it. And in some cases you just can't get access to it. That can't be the case. As, as we all know, as HIV providers, we really need to have access to the in, in, entire range of HIV medications in order to adequately take care of our patients. And so it's, in, it's imperative that any of these new insurance plans really provide a wide uh, variation on those, on the, uh, a wide version of those, uh, of those drugs. I think that's my last slide. So I'll come back to the question again. After all of that, which of the following best describes your understanding of the ACA and how it affects uh, HIV patient care? I don't know. I know a little. If everybody still says I don't know, I'm really in trouble here. <laughs> I, I know a little. I'm well versed in how the ACA will affect me and my patients. Or four, I don't know, I don't care, and I'm retiring in 2013. December of 2013. Okay, so that's good. So nobody said I don't know much anymore. I'm very happy about that. That's a major uh, improvement. So that means that folks have, have learned something from this talk, and I feel like my job is done. <laughs> now I answer questions. Kimberly, that was a superb talk. Thank you very much. Uh, Paul. John, I agree. It was a great summary, Kim. Um, you said that, and I, and I think it's true, that Ryan White won't be reauthorized, but is there the ability within that program to shift where the money is being spent, and might there be a shift of money from uh, states like Illinois that do expand Medicaid to uh, areas, including maybe the rural south, that uh, uh, in states that don't expand? Is, is that possible within Ryan White? I don't think that it's possible the way the legislation is currently written. 
So uh, it, it may be that someone will come up with a proposal to modify it in that way, but as far as I understand, sort of the way it's written, there's not that flexibility to move money around as one might hope. And if, someone, if there's someone in the audience who uh, certainly wants to comment on this, please feel free. Kimberly, does um, the act impact ADAP in terms of medical med med access to medical medication? So uh, it doesn't imp the the Affordable Care Act doesn't necessarily impact ADAP. What you know, ADAP is actually a part of the Ryan White program, and so you know, as long as the Ryan White program stays in place then ADAP stays in place. But as we all know, each state sort of has the ability to modify their ADAP program sort of as they see fit. And so some states, you know, have limited the number of drugs that will be covered, uh, limited, you know, some states, for example, have expanded to, to cover hepatitis C drugs, other one, others don't. Some have limited to, to three drugs, some have limited to five drugs. All of those flexibilities are still in the hands of the states. And so is it possible that the states will change their programs? That's certainly possible. But the CARE Act itself, the Ryan, I mean, the Affordable Care Act, doesn't specifically have an impact on ADAP itself. What about undocumented individuals? <laughs> yeah, so that's a, that's a controversial um, question. So um, theoretically, the Affordable Care Act does not cover undocumented uh, individuals, and so that Medicaid expansion and the healthcare, uh, the healthcare marketplaces will not be accessible uh, for people who are undocumented. Now, as folks know that work in, in Ryan White Care Clinics, many Ryan White Care Clinics do provide services to undocumented individuals. And so that is still another place where you may kind of see people sort of then sort of that's what a lot of what's left being dependent on Ryan White because some of the other folks might come out of Ryan White and go into some of the other programs. So for example, in, in Illinois, where uh, there will be Medicaid expansion, you know, uh, uh, some individuals, a lot of individuals that are in the Ryan White care clinics now, they're at the core center and other clinics, will be eligible for the Medicaid expansion. And many folks will take advantage of that. That will leave some individuals still with no access to anything, and many of those individuals will be the folks still dependent on Ryan White care services. This is an interesting question. Suddenly, um, those without insurance, those in 18 to 25, will become eligible for insurance. And this is a population that we think is providing a major contribution <clears throat> to the epidemic. Um, starting them in Medicaid without things like medical case management, transportation, et cetera, um, without knowledgeable providers uh, could be a disaster. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, taking eight, anybody, including folks that are 18 to 24 whose brains are not fully developed. Uh, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I say that for my, my, my adolescent colleagues in the back who have, <laughs> who remind me of that all the time. Uh, so, but, so, you know, adding coverage for everybody is important, but, in, and for that group of individuals, it's important that they have access to additional care as well. The point I think that's being made is that if you take those individuals and put them on medicine and don't have adequate supports in place, then they could, you know, really mess things up for themselves and potentially, you know, spread um, resistant virus and that sort of thing. That point is well taken, and that's, again, 
underscores the importance of why the Ryan White Care programs will still need to exist in all the services that are provided by that. Now, and I, and I do think that, again, it's important that the intent, the way that it's being described now, the intent is that the, the role of the Ryan White Care Act will sort of evolve and provide those types of services, those sort of wraparound services, that it will provide those. It just won't need to provide as much of the medical care and maybe as much of the medicines. And so some, you know, but that's to be determined. And so I think the important thing for us to recognize right now is that there's not going to be a big change in Ryan White right off the bat. But we would be naive if we don't recognize that it's going to change as we start to understand, you know, what proportion of individuals uh, that are getting services through Ryan White are now eligible for services elsewhere. There's going to be an evolution. We just have to, I think, be vocal and play a role in how that evolution takes place. Kimberly, thank you so much. Um, I know you have to make rounds this afternoon. Can you stick around for a few minutes during the break sure. to answer questions? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you.